and uh, I, during that one big hour where there was thunder, snow, and everything else, it was literally coming down so hard. I, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't drive in it. That was that was pretty rough. If you can't see the road in front of you nor the front of your own vehicle, then don't drive in it. I don't know why people drive in heavy fog can see like 10 feet in front of their car and then find out that they're fixing to be part of what's going to be an 80 car pileup. They're in the middle. There's 40 more cars coming behind them, same speed. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to have another blizzard tomorrow. Tuesday would be fun. Hymn number 166, start out, we're going to sing about the cross tonight, and um, I want to finish my notes from this morning. I just, and I appreciate what some folks said to me after the service. Um, they said, get out. No, they didn't. <laughs> um, I, people said it was a good sermon. I didn't think it was all that great, but... I guess when I guess God did something that I didn't do. That's what I like. Hymn number 166 at the cross.
Amen. I like that organ sound in those old hymns. Makes it feel like church. Amen. <clears throat> if you read like the last ten psalms in the book of Psalms, you'll see, and you'll see this in other places in Psalms too, but um, the naming of instruments, it's already on, the naming of instruments and that God said could be played. I don't know where the Church of Christ ever got off this idea that you're not supposed to use instruments in the church service. <clears throat> we need the instruments in our church service to cover up our bad singing, amen. <laughs> That's right. And we need our singing to cover up our piano mistakes. Exactly. The symbiosis here. Symbiosis. But uh, the Bible mentions, you know, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice. And I've had preachers in the past in this church uh, that told, because they were told by others, but they would tell people, uh, we don't allow clapping here. And I'm like in the Bible, you know, and then um, he said, praise him with the harp, harp re represents stringed instruments, like guitar, guitar is a, basically a form of a harp, banjo, a harp, because you pluck the strings and get the sound out of it, um, the bow, a vial, okay, uh, that's, a, that's bowed instruments like Violins, violas, cellos, basses. Um, oh, I forgot the piano. That's a stringed instrument. Instead of plucking a string, you hammer the string. And uh, then the timbrel is percussion. And um, done in the right way. And done to where uh, the, the playing of the music is not uh, in the forefront. The lyrics are the, the forefront. The lyrics are the important part. Um, it, it can be done right. Uh, we, we attended a, a, like a preacher's camp meeting conference um, down in Tampa, Florida. And um, it, was, it was neat because this, this church... It was a pretty good-sized church. They had a big auditorium, big balcony. And up on the stage where the choir normally would be in a church, they had probably 20 guys in that church that played guitar. And every one of them was up there on that stage playing guitar. Maybe, maybe one or two banjo players. And then a guy playing bass guitar, and then they had a piano player and an organ player. But I thought, oh, I kind of like that. Where can I get 20 guitar players? You've got to get them saved first. Amen. <laughs> I'm not hiring like the churches do now. I'm not hiring a band to come in here. Um, but anyway, I thought it was pretty neat. So, um, but yeah, just the use of the instruments. Uh, God's, God certainly doesn't have a problem with it. Uh, I think we're going to hear better ones in heaven. In fact, some of the angels we know have built in. Uh, what was built into uh, Lucifer? 
tabrets and pipes. That's organ. Organ, in, um, yeah. So, and that, that's another one. The organ is a, is a piped instrument, like a flute, uh, piccolo, clarinet, saxophone, I guess. Those are piped instruments. They blow into it. There's a reed in there that vibrates and so on. Anyway, it's no different than uh, the, the vibration of a reed on an oboe or two reeds on an oboe or a reed on a clarinet is, is almost identical to uh, a cricket rubbing its legs together and getting that, getting that sound out of it. That's what they make their sound. They don't, they don't chirp it out. They don't have voice. It's rubbing, rubbing the legs together and it makes that sound. And uh, same thing you get with a violin or something like that. Anyway... I just thought I'd waste time there. Uh, I decided to, um, uh, to finish my notes from this morning um, simply because uh, it just, the theme, was, the theme was the Ten Commandments. And um, by the way, I, I purchased the Ten Commandments on YouTube today. <laughs> was watching it. They restored it back in 2010. And uh, it looks amazing. It, it really does. Um, but it's the full-length movie. There's nothing edited out of it. It is almost, it's like three and a half hours, almost four hours. And if you watch the Ten Commandments on TV, there's a bunch of stuff that they had to edit out for time. And um, so it just kind of fills in the story. And, you know, I know that DeMille probably wanted this because he said at one point, uh, I don't know if he said it in the movie or, or if he said it like in an interview, but he said the, the three largest religions in the world, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, they all regard Moses as God's lawgiver. They all have a regard for Moses and his law. And uh, I hadn't thought about it that way before, but that is true. Adorning adorning a large number of courthouses in this country alone, including the Supreme Court building. Adorning that building is a carving of Moses holding the two tablets because it goes to the necessity of the law, especially the written law, to govern men. Men, Like I said this morning, men need to be governed. And... Um, God is the one who chooses the government. And if the people are righteous, then God gives them righteous judges. Like he did Hezekiah, he did it with Josiah, did it with Jehoshaphat, he did it with others. Uh, but if all they want is an idolatrous pervert, then they'll get an idolatrous pervert from Democrat Party, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, that's what they get. And uh, this country has seen its share of this is what you get. And uh, hopefully this country will wake up at some point. Uh, but I don't know. We'll just wait and see what God does. But the, the way that the law uh, is represented in the scripture is uh, a mystery to some people. Because I've heard so many people say what somebody has told them from a pulpit. That we're not under the law. We're under grace. And they almost use that. John Uter uh, called me one day, and uh, uh, before he called, a man in John's church called me. 
And he called my cell number and I, and I said, hello. And he told me who his name was. And he told me, he said, I go to John Uter's church. I said, okay, how you doing? And he said, I got a question for you, Pastor Mike. I said, okay, shoot. He said, uh, are we supposed to tithe now in the church age? And I said, absolutely. Well, that's not what he wanted to hear. And I said, you know, the Bible says in Malachi, will a man rob God? And I, and I said, tithing in the Old Testament was uh, for the, the support of the ministry of the Levites. The Levites were to get a portion of each sacrifice that came in, whether it was flour or an animal uh, or the oil or whatever, or, uh, and they also received the tithe money that everybody had to pay. And um, when people brought in the tithes to the storehouse, then that was divided up amongst the Levite priests because God did not allow them a, a land inheritance so that they could earn their living from the land, like shepherds and cattlemen and farmers or whatever, vineyards or whatever. They couldn't own those things. They didn't have land. They lived in suburbs around the tabernacle or around the temple. Um, so their inheritance was from the Lord. And so when the tithe was brought in, that was the pay for the Levites taking their, you know, doing their course. We have, uh, uh, who is it? Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. He is, he is, he has to go now to the temple because that's his time to go. It's his course. He, I think he was in the course of Abijah or Baya or something like that. But he was under that particular course. And so all of the Levite priests from these, this particular course had to go and do their temple duty. It means they had to leave their home no matter where they lived. And they had to go and they had to serve in the temple. And that's where Zacharias was when Gabriel came and told him that Elizabeth was going to have a son. And uh, he was in there doing his duty. While he's doing his duty, who's, you know, he, can't, he can't also tend sheep and milk cows and pull in grain and harvest and everything like that. He's dedicated to the Lord. So I said, Paul used the same analogy that, you know, you shall not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And he said, does God careth for oxen? No, he's talking, about, he's talking about the ministry and those who labor in the word of God. So I said, it's for the support of the church and the support of its ministries. And the minister of the church has, and I've had Kenyan pastors ask me this, because they, uh, one pastor, the way he asked me, it kind of sounded like his church didn't give him nothing. And um, I know probably his church didn't have a whole lot, but they didn't give him nothing. And he had to go out and earn a living and then pastor this church at the same time. And I told him, I said, that's not right. And I gave him the scriptures to look at. And, uh, and I said, the tithe is still in effect for those who call themselves Christians to bring their tithes into the storehouse. And we don't do it because, by a commandment. We do it because we want to. That's the difference. When you get saved, you just want to do these things. And um, so anyway, I said it's, it's for the, the, the pay of the pastor so that he can spend his time in the ministry visiting people. Uh, witnessing to people, preparing, studying for sermons, doing those sermons, and so on. And uh, so he said, well, I just, he said, I believe in that I give my money 
to God in other ways. And I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, a lot of times I'll help my daughters out. They'll give them money. To, that kind of helps, the, you know, it's like helping the poor. He's, he was justifying him not paying any tithes, what he's doing. Bottom line, and what, what I didn't know was, John preached a sermon the day before, that was a Sunday, on Malachi. Will a man rob God? And, and he went back to the Ten Commandments and he said, it says right here, thou shalt not steal. And he went to the book of Revelation and he said, here's a list of people that are not getting into heaven. Thieves. And so, I mean, he preached that and it made that guy mad. So he got into it with John Uter. John was his mailman. John delivering the mail to this guy, and he gets into it with John, and John is like, well, listen, I mean, I preached the word of God, and the guy kept going, well, that's, uh, that was under the law. We're under grace now. Well, he kept saying that. We're under grace. We're under grace. That's not in the, we're, in the, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And people use that as an excuse to, do, to disobey God. We're under grace now, so I can do whatever I want to, and God will give me grace. And uh, so the guy said to John, they're both... I mean, really just standing their ground, going back and forth. The guy finally said, I'll tell you what, John, brother John, I know somebody probably who could settle this argument right now. John said, who's that? He said, that Mike Hoggart. John said, I got his number right here for you. Won't you give him a call? And it was later that John called me and I said, I guess you had a run in with this guy, huh? John said, oh, yeah. But that's what he was doing. He wasn't paying tithes. John, John didn't know this. He doesn't, he, he's like me. I don't know who gives what. I don't know. I know a guy sent us a gold coin over the weekend. Okay? And I, he wrote a letter to me. And, and he basically said this. He said, we just, we're not, we don't do this because we have to. We just, do, we just felt like we want to do something. And he said, you, you put it wherever you want to. If you want to give the money to the orphans, you want to put, you know, put, put it wherever you want to. If you got somebody in the church that's needy, whatever, you know, if you want to sell it to somebody in the church, you know, whatever. So we're at liberty to do what we want. I'm going I'm to let it sit there for a while and let the price go up, you know. But anyway, um, he, was, he was using that argument, we're not under the law, as an excuse to disobey God. And John just preached a message that called him out on it, and he didn't like it. He didn't like John telling the truth. He thought he was wrong, and he was going to argue with him no matter what. And like I said this morning, people will justify what they do as right. Thank God we are all under the same rules. They apply to everybody, amen? So uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, John and Melissa, when Lisa and I and Rose went to uh, the ACE training center down where their main office is in, in uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas, um, the theme for that entire week was Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, yeah, and I had, I had so much of that in me uh, I had to preach it Sunday. I mean, we come home on a Saturday, and I, I just barely needed to study. I mean, I was just so full of it. I preached this. And um, 
It's a, it's a wonderful text. But this is, this is God's opinion now of his law. And when he talks about it, when, when he says law, let's understand. what we w- If we were to read Psalm 119 right now, all 178 verses, I think, or 182, something like that. You would see that the law and the statutes and the judgments and his word are all interchangeable. It'll use those words. Uh, thy word have I hid in my heart. And then the next verse he'll talk about it was thy statutes that saved me or whatever. So when we see the word the law here. We're talking about number one the Old Testament law the Ten Commandments. And number two the new law which Jesus came to give and he said these are two there are two laws now love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself and he said on these two hang all the law so every law in the Ten Commandments is now under these two laws that Jesus commanded us to do and that is to love God and to love human beings love them care for your enemies pray for your enemies you know, do good to people and do good for people and love them. And that has to come from God or it's not real. It's, just, it's fake. But anyway, um, so when we see that, apply both of them, Old and New Testament. So look at verse 4 of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I like that. Because... In there, there's an Elohim, and Elohim is plural, God. And the Jews just don't know what to do with that. Because Genesis 1-1 is Bereshith Elohim, in the beginning, God. And the Elohim there, they, you could literally interpret it, in the beginning, gods created the heaven and the earth. Okay? But it's not to be plural gods. It's God. But they have a plural in the I am adding it to the Elo and they don't know what to do with that. Their doctrine doesn't allow for that. Okay, they'll get they'll get it one of these days. All right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. There it is right there. There's first commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and with all thy might. Jesus said that was the first commandment. The second is like that one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, uh, uh, verse 6, And these words, these words, all of these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. How many words? I watched the rest of that video that I was talking about during Sunday school. And they said exactly what I heard probably a dozen hundred times in all my classes there where they're telling me, especially in Greek class, where we're going through the manuscripts and there's manuscript variances between this manuscript and this manuscript. And I heard the recitation. It's almost like a Catholic prayer. They all say the same thing. That even though there are discrepancies between this manuscript and this manuscript and this manuscript and all these other manuscripts, It doesn't affect any major doctrine. And then they said something like, I wish I could replay it now and let you hear it because they said basically that when God gave his word, he was not interested in giving us this technically perfect uh, book or something like that. He was interested in 
conveying the truths that we hold in Christianity or something like that. In other words, God was not, God didn't care for the little things that got changed. He only cares if the big things get changed. Huh? Yeah, like the letter A in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So is that a little one or a big one? But that's, what they, that's basically what they said. God doesn't care about the little things that have, that have fallen out of the manuscripts or uh, are not translated correctly or whatever. God's not, he doesn't care about those. As long as you still get the truth of the message in you. And I, I if I had $1,000 to just throw around, I would put $1,000 out there to anybody who can prove to me the unity of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without 1 John 5, 7. I have never read a verse on the unity of the Godhead, the Trinity, that says what 1 John 5, 7 says. And 1 John 5, 7 is the number one omitted verse in every translation. The King James and the New King James are the only ones that keep it. And the New King James puts a, a little marker there and says, the earlier manuscripts don't contain this. So they're basically telling you, we put it in here, but you don't have to believe it if you don't want to. So prove to me, prove to me with the Bible the doctrine of the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And if I, if I did, if I had $1,000 to throw around, I would put it out there and say, you prove it. You can't do it. That doctrine goes. And if we took away all the King James Bibles out of the world, that doctrine would disappear in probably two generations. It would never be spoken of after that because people would forget. Okay? So anyway, um, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently. How? That means teach it to them enough to keep up with how, what the world's trying to teach them. What Snoop Dogg is trying to teach them. And what Alice Cooper's try, been trying to teach them. And Gene Simmons. And all these other rats. Sewer rats. That are corrupting the minds of young people. Katy Perry. Coming out with this song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. Then she got another one, My Boyfriend's an Alien. Uh, listen, I know where that's from. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's corruption. It is, it is feeding the minds of unchurched youth all over this country. And they're going to do what the songs tell them to do. Huh? Yep. So anyway... Uh, these, uh, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. It is not the public school's responsibility and it is not the church's responsibility to teach your children. It is your responsibility to teach your children. Yeah. Um, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them. When thou sittest in thine house, imagine that. Imagine a family having a conversation about what's in the Bible. That's unheard of, believe it or not, in a lot of church families. That it ought not be. We ought not be ashamed in our own house to talk about what's in the Bible. Amen? 
uh, thou shalt talk about when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way. When you're shopping, when I'm going shopping with my wife, if I want to talk to her about something in the Bible, I'll talk to her about something in the Bible. I don't care who's standing around me. I'm not going to yell it and make a big scene for everybody like some people I've run into in my life, but I've, I'm just going to just talk about it with my wife. And somebody, somebody might hear me and come over and say, Amen. Amen. Now, I appreciate that. Talk when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Four, four times you're supposed to talk about them. House time, walk time, lie down time, rise up time. Amen. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now, the Jews have taken this in, in a corrupt manner. The, the little phylacteries that you'll see Orthodox men wearing, there's a little box in there, and it has just a little portion of Scripture written on a piece of paper inside that box, and they put it right, they wear it right here. And there's also another one that they bind, they take a thing and bind it on their hand, literally, just like it says here, okay? Uh, and thou shalt write upon... Write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Most Jewish houses by tradition. In fact, it's kind of the way that Hitler's men knew there was Jews living in the house because they had this little portion of scripture on a little, like a little silver column thing that they nailed to the post in their barn or in their house or whatever. And if you were a German soldier... And uh, was looking for Jews. All you got to do is, they had this little silver thing with Hebrew writing on it. It was some portion of scripture that they had nailed to the post of their house. That's how they knew where they lived. Uh, and they shall write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when, oh, I won't read the rest of that. But anyway, that's, that's the importance that God places on the law, number one. And number two, his word in general. Is that he's telling you that this is not just a Sunday thing that you do. This is your life. This, is, this should be at your home. It should be on your mind when you're at your home. It should be on your mind when you lay down at night. Like I said, I was up till 3.30. I don't know, sometime I fell asleep. I don't remember when, but I just had this, this argument going around in my head about absolute truth and how I would use that to try to help somebody realize that there has to be a Bible that's right somewhere because God is a God of absolute truth. And so anyway, this was in my mind. I can't say that every night I go to sleep, I got scripture on my mind. I can't say that. So I fall short of this just like anybody else might. But we're, we're, to, we're to have them in our mind. We're to have them in our heart. We're to bind them for a sign. People should, should know us. That's the Bible guy. Those are Bible people over there. They follow the Bible, okay? And uh, I'm sure we're on somebody's list somewhere. Bring it on. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Uh, uh, a Baptist church was given, I guarantee they're probably King James. Probably King James Bible. There was a, uh, some guys giving away Bibles. Uh, where was it at... Uh, uh, Oh, here in town? Uh, somewhere on that uh, uh, bluffs. What's that? Graboy Bluffs. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's silent. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, all more power to them. Amen. More than likely, they're King James. But anyway, uh, now Deuteronomy 27. Oh, look at this. Look at this. There's a curse. There's a curse. Deuteronomy 27. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now, this is, this is God's version. He says this in chapter 27 because in chapter 28, uh, if, you, if you want a homework assignment from your pastor, read Deuteronomy 28 and 29 together. It's a little long, but I think you'll be able to survive the... I think you'll survive it. Uh, yeah. 29 verses in chapter 29 and 68 verses in 28. Chapter 28 is the blessing and the curse that comes to those who keep all. Notice in, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, It shall come to pass that thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do how many of his commandments? All of them. All of his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. How do you think America ar arose to its height the way she did? God sent the scriptures to this land. He sent people bringing the scriptures. He sent people who believed and preached the scriptures to this land and they were the builders of the first cities and the first schools and the first colleges and Yale University, Harvard University, all seminaries starting out. A lot of your famous colleges were also seminaries teaching men the doctrines of the faith and how to convey them, how to, how to you know, giving them uh, a college education on being a pastor, in other words, and so on. And I, I tell you, the, the requirements for guys getting into Harvard back in the 1700s, it was rough. And, and it was like, you had better have large portions of the Bible memorized. I remember right I don't remember what all the things were but it was rough I mean I, I doubt that I would have made it um, but anyway um, God said that we had to do all of his commandments so because we don't and we haven't somebody has to step up and do it for us Christ did it so none of these curses fall upon him only blessings the blessings blessed shalt thou be in the city God's city's blessed blessed shalt thou be in the field the field is the world the harvest blessed shall be the fruit of thy body uh, Jesus is God's only begotten son the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle the increase of thy kind the flocks of thy sheep blessed shall be thy basket and thy store blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and thou blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out in other words, you can take all these and apply them to Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are the recipients of this blessing by way of Christ who was able to do all of these things. But we cannot say that these blessings, if God gives us these blessings, it's only by grace. But not because we've earned them, because the commandment was to do all of them. 
And if you can keep nine of the commandments, listen, if you can keep nine of the commandments, you're a whole, a whole lot better than I am. But let's say you could keep nine of the commandments and it's not a problem, but one of them is. Sorry, because Deuteronomy 27, 26 said, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. When you confirm them, you're saying they're right, they're valid, and I'll do them. This man that was, had got into it with John Uter, he didn't believe that. He would not confirm that the verses that John preached, he would not confirm that they were valid. Especially when John preached out of Malachi. That's in the, that's in the Old Testament. That's the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And I, man probably knows this much about the Bible. He goes to church. Looks, looks like a Christian. But anyway. God said confirm all of them and do them. You'll do them if you believe in them. If you don't believe in them you won't do them. Period. Even the ones we do believe in, we have a problem doing. But definitely, if you don't believe in something God said, then you'll, you won't do it. You'll, anyway, and all the people shall say amen. And what does the word amen mean? Yes, so be it. We agree. We comply. Deuteronomy 17, 11. Now, I kind of went backward a little bit. God said, according to the sentence of the law, which they shall teach thee, and according to the judgment, which they shall tell thee, Thou shalt do. Thou shalt not decline from the sentence which they shall shew thee to the right hand nor to the left. So let's think about this for a minute. Here's God's law, the sentence of God's law. And the law is being taught to them. They're learning it. They're understanding it. And God wants them to be very, very clear on this issue. Do exactly what I said to do. Don't, let, let's take the right hand and left hand how we see it today. Right hand is conservatism, left hand is liberalism. So let's look at it like this. God gave us the sentence of the law. And let's take the ones that apply to man. Thou shalt not... Uh, kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Taking just those, if we stray to the right, what the right does, what fundamentalist does, is start adding things to that law. God said don't commit adultery. Okay? But some, some churches, some preachers, will then add certain restrictions upon their church members who, believe it or not, some of these pastors, they believe that they have been given a mandate by God to select who marries who in the church. That's not my business. That's not under me. But see, they've added that as a, as a condition of salvation in their eyes. Well, if you don't do it this way, obviously you're not saved. I mean, I've heard this stuff all my life. They'll add this, they'll add that. They'll add dress. They'll, they'll add hair length. They'll, they'll add your looks and appearance. They'll add all kinds of additions 
and rules and morals and guidelines and standards and everything else, which I, I don't have a problem in the world with any of them. But when you add them to salvation, I got a problem with it. When you say, obviously that guy's not saved. Because, I mean, look at how he's dressed. You just look at it. I mean, that's, that's not saved. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. God said, don't commit adultery. Jesus came along and said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, uh, listen, she can be dressed from the chin down to the toenails. And you, you can find something to look at. That's just how it is. God said, when you look at her to lust after you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. But they add these rules and pretend that these rules will keep them from sin. No, it doesn't. None, they don't work. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying nothing wrong against them. I wish God's people were better at how they dress, how they look, how they talk, how they, I wish that we would at, at times consider the outer man a little bit. Okay, but that doesn't change the condition of the inner man. Okay, doesn't add to it. So that, now let's take it to the left. The liberal will, they will allow for certain lifestyles to be uh, exclusive, exclusive of thou shalt not commit adultery. So they'll say that uh, two men can be married in the church or two women can be married in the church or any combination thereof uh, or they'll condone this or they'll condone that act um, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor they'll take a look at that and they'll have certain things that are exclusive of that well I had to tell I had to tell them something I just couldn't I just couldn't come out and tell the truth God knows my heart it's okay They'll, they'll always take away from God's law. And that's what God was telling us, don't do. Don't add to it to the right hand. Don't take away from it to the left hand. Don't, don't think that this is your salvation and don't think that you can get by without it. God said, stick to the word, stick to the sentence of the law. Which is what? The letter of the law. Okay? All right, now, Psalm, I'm going to go through some Psalms here real quick. Psalm 1, my favorite. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Therefore he shall be like a tree. I knew I'd get you to smile, Uriah. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Shall bring forth, I can't remember the rest of it. Shall bring forth his fruit in his season. The ungodly are not so. So I like this. Blessed is the man that walketh not. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. There's something wrong when you don't want to read the Bible. Something wrong. It's not right to not want to. And it's possible. I've gone through times. You got to pray, God, put that back in me. Give me the desire to read your word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here again, we don't qualify for this because we don't do it. We don't meditate day and night in God's word. 
Christ did, so he qualifies, we're in Christ, boom. But there's nothing wrong with striving, striving to be more like Jesus every day. Think more about what's in the Bible than what's on stupid Facebook and Instagram and Netflix and everything else. Psalm 19:7. the law of the Lord is perfect. Wait, 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 wait. No, was perfect in the original manuscripts. Yeah, they brought that up too. Yeah, this, yeah. I, I, I could pretty much tell what this guy was going to say, and sure enough, they said every bit of it. The law of the Lord is perfect, and what does it do? Converts the soul. Not the flesh. The soul. The testimony of the Lord, see how it's interchangeable? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, I didn't excel much in school. I don't know why. I'm, I'm not in, I'm not mentally challenged or anything like that. I just, I didn't apply myself, I don't think. I didn't like homework, didn't like schoolwork, didn't like doing it. I had to be made to do it. I probably could have done better if I would have applied myself better. But when God, when God worked in me, this work, back in 1997, he didn't have to ask me, you, did you read your Bible today? I read it. it. Because God was taking this simple guy and, and giving me some wisdom, giving me some understanding about things. And I, was en I enjoyed that then. I still enjoy it now because it still happens. Psalm 40, verse 8, I, I delight to do thy will, oh my God. That's what Paul quotes from Hebrews 10. Um, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And therein lies the difference. If it's only a mind thing with you, you won't get it right and you won't do it right. If it's in your heart, you don't have to be told. You don't have to be made. You don't have to be forced. You just do it. Okay, you just do it because that's where your heart is. Okay, my heart is for my wife. And my heart is for my family. My heart is for my church and and all that that applies to. And so I don't have to be made to do the things that I do. I do them because I want to do them. And I want to do more. But uh, sometimes I think age is creeping up on me. And I just don't have the, the strength or the energy that I used to have. But I still want to do more. Every time I do something, I want to do more. And that's what the law can do within our hearts. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O God, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. So when my mom took my belt and began to lay lashes on my bottom and my back of my legs, she was teaching me the law of mom. When you read Proverbs, Solomon said, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase, but he said, um, hey, son, 
Remember to do, to follow the teachings of your dad and the law of your mother. See, dad rules the house, but mom makes the rules. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. And yeah, but anyway, uh, moms give out the law. Lisa, I, she's the law man in our family. Okay, you do something wrong. I don't care if it's one of the kids or one of the grandkids. Lisa's going to tell them, and that's what Proverbs said: the teachings of your father, or something like that, and the law of your mother. Um, Psalm 119, 18, I like this. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And man, I tell you, looking at the sacrifice system, looking at the, the tabernacle, seeing how it, it really is in ourselves, every one of them, and how the mitochondria of ourselves is the altar burning off the sacrifices. The mitochondria burns sugar uh, from our blood and gives us heat and energy. Um, seeing that in the Word of God is like, that's amazing. Finding DNA in the Bible, in the law of God, in the, it's amazing. It's amazing. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Whew. Nothing like it, people. Nothing in the world is like it. Psalm 1929, remove me from the way of lying. And grant me thy law graciously. I, I don't have to tell you, but everybody I know lies about something at some point. We have a hard time telling the truth about everything for whatever reason. And so this is written to us, remind me or remove me from the way of lying and grant me thy law. Some people just lie as a way of life. They're just life is full of lies, everything. Grant me thy law graciously. I like that. Grace and the law together. Um, Psalm 119.34, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Um, I'm going to show you something on that in a minute. Psalm 119.44, so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Now, uh, this is what I like. E Ezra chapter 7, Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, very quickly, I'm just going to give you this. When, when, the, when the psalmist said, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Uh, back when, uh, I'd say around 2012, 2013, 2014, there was a guy that, that has been watching me online, Chris. And uh, he listened to all my sermons. Now, he first approached me via email saying he was a King James Bible believer and he believed that English was the language uh, in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve spoke. He believed that the King James English went all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And I said, you know, there's really no evidence for that. And if you want to believe it, that's fine, but I just, I just don't see it. 
And then he started chiding me and chewing me out in emails because his, the way he believed was that when I led and conducted this service, we were only to sing songs that were taken directly from the book of Psalms, word for word. And that when I gave a sermon, I'm only to read the scriptures and not add anything to it. And I said to him, I said, Bud, if that's the case, there's only one person that I know of that's probably going to go to heaven, and that would be you. Because every other church and every other preacher I've ever met, nobody believes that. So that tends to tell me that it's not taught in the Bible, that you just kind of made this up on your own. Well, I found backing for what I was saying. Thank God. And let me, let me show you this. Ezra was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. I like that. So get yourself ready. Uh, to, to be ready means to, to get up and, and just be available right then and right now. Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He had copied the law of Moses probably multiple times, which means he probably knew large portions of it by memory. And he was a, he was a student of those words as well. So, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So in verse 9, For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had, watch this, he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So Ezra has taken this, he's on his journey now from Babylon, he's been released, he's going to get to go back to Jerusalem. He leaves on the first day of the first month, doesn't get there until five months later. And all this five months, five is for grace, but all this five months, Ezra, he's not wasting time, as he's walking, he's reading. He's studying, he's contemplating, meditating, thinking on these things. He had prepared his heart first. It's got to be in your heart or you won't do it. To seek the, Lord, seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He knew that God was calling him to teach and he didn't want to get it wrong. I've, I've taught this book wrongly before. We'll probably do it again. I don't want to. Just the nature of being who we are. We're, we don't get everything right. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to try. And so again, I strive like everybody else. I want to be a ready teacher of God's word. So here's, here's how it happened. In, Nehemiah, in, in the book of Nehemiah, for some of you. Chapter 8, all the people gathered themselves together as one man. I like this, one man thing. Because that's what Christ is going to do with us. He's going to gather us together as one new man. Amen. Into the street, that was before the water gate. You didn't know that went all the way back to the book of Nehemiah, did you? 
Watergate? Some of y'all aren't going to. They'll get that later. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. The people wanted this. I'll tell you, these new young families that God has sent us, they're here because they want, they want to hear the word of God. Bless them. Amen. Bless them, Lord. Uh, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Verse 2, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And verse 3, And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, here's our church service from the morning until midday. That's where we get it. Out at noon, amen. Before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. In other words, they weren't playing during church. They weren't looking at their phones. They weren't drawing doodles on the pages in the hymn book. They were listening. Because they had been 70 years and hadn't heard the law of God. Now they get a chance to. They're not going to blow this. And look at verse 4. And Ezra, the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had for the purpose. Pulpit is just another word for desk. You've heard some preachers call it the desk or the sacred desk. And that's true. That's what it is. Uh, I like my pulpit of wood. It's the one that was here when I first got here. I don't want to change it out for one of them little skinny plexiglass ones. If you say, I don't like those. But anyway, I'm not saying it's unbiblical to get one. But anyway, I like a pulpit of wood. But that's the sacred desk that God has given. And basically, it was up on a platform. And some of the churches... Uh, like some of the Puritan churches. I mean, they put that guy 15 feet up in the air. He's reading the book and he's preaching the sermon. He's sitting way up there, okay? Upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Now in verse 5, and Ez, this is a picture of Christ now, what Christ is going to do when he comes. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. You see it now? That's where the pulpit was. They had made it for that occasion and they set... What they were doing was they were setting the word of God on high. They were showing by putting that pulpit up there above them saying the word of God is our authority. It is over our heads and we are under its authority. That's what they were doing. And when he had opened it, the, all the people stood up. All he did was open the book and what happened? Everybody jumped up to their feet. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. They're Amen in the message, and Annie started preaching yet. With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Achab and Shabbatai and Hodijah and Maasiah and Kalida and Azariah and Josabad and Hanan and Peleah. At least you should have named your kids some of these. Peliah and the Levites, watch this, cause, here, here it is now. They caused the people to understand the law. They didn't just read it to them. And the people stood in their place. Look at verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly. So they read the text and then gave the sense and cause them to understand the reading. If you want something to compare it to, 
Let's go to the first sermon preached in this church age. Acts chapter 2. Who preached it? Petros, Peter. And where was his text from? Joel 2. And I've, I've had people ask me now, do you preach expository preaching? Huh? You know what that means? Not suppository. Hold on a second. Melissa, once you get a head start going home. Expository. And that means going book by book, verse by verse. Now, some people think that's the only kind of teaching and preaching that should be done. There's some, there are some people who believe that. Um, that's not really what Peter did here. He didn't start with Joel 1 and go through the whole book. What he did was exactly what Jesus did when Jesus went into the synagogue and they gave him the book of Isaiah. He opened Isaiah 61 and he read a portion of the scripture. He closed the book and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Here Peter is, uh, verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Now he's going to preach. He's going to preach of what happened. It's my responsibility. The Bible teaches me as a shepherd to know the state of the flock. And sometimes... I have to preach on things that are timely and happening. Maybe in our, it's affecting our whole church or maybe it's affecting one family or one person. But I have to do that. It's my responsibility. Give them the food that they need. Then I can give them the other food later. So normally on the Sunday morning sermon, it is going to be topical and not expository. But notice like on Sunday night, Wednesday night, expository preaching. I'm going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Okay. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days. And then he says, um, verse 22, after he reads the text from Joel or quotes it, he says, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God. Now he's not just giving them scriptures, he's giving them the sense and causes them to understand the reading. He's saying to them, I just read to you, Joel, this is that which Joel spoke of. And now let me tell you about the man Jesus. The man Jesus is the one responsible for this. And so he teaches them Jesus. And what's the effects of it? 3,000 people saved the first day. Okay? What a message. And it, it wasn't an hour and a half long like mine is. Well, we got to go. But anyway, um, that's, that's what we're to do here. It's, it's my job. And Sunday school teachers, same thing. 
read the text of those kids, get them to memorize it, but teach it what it means. Teach them how it applies to their life. Teach, teach them things, sins. Don't just say sin's wrong and you ought not do it. Say this is wrong. This sin is wrong. That sin is wrong. Let's stand to our feet.